Have I ever told you how much it irritates me when you fall asleep as I preach? <laughs> Who do I remind you of? And kids, I'm just teasing. Sort of. All right. I'm going to come back to this in just a moment, but I want you to remember how sharp this blade really is. Let me just rest this right here, and uh, we'll come back to that in just a moment. I want to invite you to take your Bibles in hand and turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at a little four-verse section in Jesus' life. He went to visit some uh, women, Mary and Martha, and uh, what we just saw on the whiteboard on the screen was a little bit like what Martha was experiencing in that visit. She was so busy with all the things that are being scribbled here, there, and everywhere that she was losing the little baby Jesus in the manger scene. And there may be some of us who this coming uh, holiday season, this week, maybe Friday, Black Friday, maybe tomorrow, which is called Cyber Monday, and maybe you were the ones over here at Kohl's that were gotten in a fist fight and were arrested like at 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't know. But if you are one of those, I'm glad you're here today because uh, we, we need a little check. We need a little checkup on some of the things we're doing. So we're going to look at the text. You have an outline that is available for you. I'm going to look at something on the backside when we close out here this morning. But I want you to follow along as I read this great story. I wanted to set this up because the priority of what we want to do is to really focus on Jesus. But what happens is that we, we get focused on the good things that we do. Everybody's in favor of good work and good things. We're not saying those are bad. In fact, it's kind of ironic. As I read this text in Luke 10, 38 through 42, you notice the previous story to this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, the Good Samaritan did a good deed. He did good works. He provided for a man in need when the priest and the rabbi and everybody else sort of neglected him. So Jesus is all for good works, good deeds, but the problem is sometimes we lose perspective and balance. So as we go from the good story of the good works of the Good Samaritan, we now go to the good story of the good works of a good woman by the name of Martha, and suddenly the story takes a twist. So you see how the context of Luke including these two stories back to back is uh, a telling thing. Let me read Luke 10, 38-42, familiar, I suspect, to many of us in this room. Now, as they were traveling along, that would be Jesus and his wonderful disciples and followers. He entered a village, and this would be Bethany, it's near Jerusalem, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. They are all great friends. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, uh, God heals Lazarus, the brother from death, which is just uh, no small thing. And so obviously they have a, a rich relationship of things in the past and the things that come in the future. And so he enters and she welcomes him into her home. It's a great hospitality. And she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken from her. There's a lot of angles and a lot of approaches that we can go to that story, but I wanted to take it from this particular vantage point for us at Thanksgiving and coming into Christmas. 
Is it possible that I'm doing too much good work? There's hardly a pastor in the world that would ever tell the congregation, stop doing so much, because it feels like we always need more people to do more things. Typically, it's the 20% that does 80% of the work, 20% give 80% of the funds to the church, but we're always wanting more. But I want to balance that this morning. Is it possible that we're doing too much good work? And what happens when I do too much good work? On Thursday of this past week was Thanksgiving Day, as probably some of you can still maybe remember. And because our daughter was in Africa, we just had our other daughter over and we kind of cooked steaks. We haven't even eaten a turkey yet. We cooked steaks and I sat there and I watched football. And I just relaxed. And I remember saying to Joy, it's, it's kind of nice, isn't it, that we don't have to be rushing around the kitchen like I do that anyways. <laughs> Better said... Isn't it kind of nice that you don't have to be rushing around the kitchen while I watch football over here? And there was something very peaceful and tranquil about a day where the day was all about just giving thanks. We had the nice service over at 10 o'clock in chapel over there across the patio. Came home and didn't have to rush around, didn't have to hurry this, hurry that. Is it time to take out? Do I need to carve? Where do I, where do I carve? Just sit and rest. It was beautiful. So we're doing our Thanksgiving this afternoon, so my blood pressure is beginning to rise even as I think about it. But there's something beautiful about understanding when work becomes too much. I want to just pick apart a little bit on Martha. She's a beautiful woman, and someday we'll all be in heaven with her, and we want to say good things about Martha. And so we need good Marthas. We need good workers like Martha. But something happens when it becomes too much. Here are some of the qualities that we want to look at. When it impacts my relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at this text on the screen. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. Well, what happens when I start doing too much good work? It begins to impact my relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. Here are some of those qualities. I think the Lord doesn't care about me. I feel unappreciated. All these good things I do and it seems like God never rewards me or I never see the fruit of the benefit of that. Secondly, I try to tell Jesus how I should live my life. When I'm doing too much good work, when I'm too busy, too rushed, I begin to think that I'm in charge, my schedule is more important, and I'm going to start telling God how He should run things around here. And I can be that way. I can be that way about our church. God, this is what I think you should be doing around here. Now, if you get in line, I'll maybe hire you on staff. It's crazy that we will begin to boss Jesus around because we're so consumed with the good things we need to be doing for Him. And then finally, my relationship is impacted with Jesus because I try to please Him based on performance. When I'm all about doing good and hustling to do even better, and to even have my very best for God, hitting the the grand slams when I just feel like I'm always popping up, then I begin to have the sense that, Lord, you're only pleased when I do my very best. You're only pleased when I'm like Martha, working really hard. God, it's all about how my performance counts with you. And when I live on that basis, it impacts my relationship with Jesus. And it's not good. It begins to decay away. 
Not only that, but it also begins to impact my relationship in my own heart. The text says, But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. But the Lord answered, said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about too many things. Jesus begins to assess Martha's heart. And that's what happens when I get too busy. Too much, too much good work. Jesus begins to look and see something in my heart that is not healthy. And here are some of those things. He says to her, you are distracted. This word distracted is a couple of words. Peri meaning around and around and away. It is also a word that means to draw, to draw around. So Jesus uses this wonderful little Greek word and says, Martha, your heart is distracted. It is, it is, it is being drawn away. And I wanted to graph. Here's a graph of the word distracted. It looks like this. Where I begin with Jesus. She's there, she's there for Jesus. There's no question she's committed to Jesus. She loves Jesus. We're not doubting her heart and her intentions. But because she's so busy doing so much too good work, she starts with Jesus and gets distracted. And the word distracted means I begin to circle around Him and then I begin to go off in orbit from Him. A distracted heart is the result of doing too much good work because I'm so consumed with what I'm doing, I'm forgetting who He is and what He wants from me. So sometimes too much good works takes me from the focus of the priority of Jesus Christ. And so I'm being distracted from the priority of just simply being with Jesus. And secondly, I'm worried, I'm bothered, I'm anxious, I'm irritable, and I lack peace of heart. If those are qualities that I'm feeling in my own heart, then I know that something is out of balance with me. It's interesting, I read a study that in one year there were 20,000 overdoses of energy drinks being people being brought to the ER. Monster, Red Bull, people are being consumed by giving energy drinks to themselves so they can do even more. And they're taking so much to have all that that it's destroying their own hearts. And they're ODing on Red Bull. It's crazy. Because we're consumed by doing good. And then lastly... It impacts my relationship with other people. Notice how Martha throws Mary under the chariot. <laughs> my sister, and then she backs it up over her again for good sakes. My sister has left me to do all this serving alone. She points out, look at Mary. What a waste. She's sitting there with you, Jesus. She's just wasting her time. How do I act towards other people when I'm doing too much, when I'm too consumed with my activities and my performance and trying to please God by doing good things? What does it do for my relationship with my spouse, my children, my employees, my employer, my neighbors? Things begin to break down. Here are some of the things that broke down with Martha. She becomes very critical of Mary. She's critical of Mary because all Mary is doing is sitting there listening to Jesus. What a waste of time. When's the meal ever going to get done if you just sit there like that, Mary? What's wrong with you? And Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? What a waste. Secondly, I feel all alone with my problem. I'm serving you all alone, she says. No one understands me. Nobody comes alongside to help me. I've got to carry this all by myself. 
It's just too hard. Thirdly, I need to blame anyone other than myself. She blames Mary because the meal is not going to be done on time. The turkey's in the oven, but it's not going to be done and carved and ready to be served if you just sit there and listen to Jesus. Come on. So she blames. When I begin blaming other people for the way I feel about my life, there's probably something out of balance. I've lost the priority. And then finally, we often go from blame to shame. We love to shame people who don't measure up to our standards. So I shame those that do not measure up. Shame on you, Mary, for not really getting it right. And so I'm doing too much good when my relationship with Jesus, my heart, and those that I should love the most are breaking down. I know something's out of balance. I need to have a little spiritual inventory and become the good Samaritan, but not the good Martha. And there's a big difference, because the good Samaritan had it in balance, but good Martha, not quite so much. And Jesus pointed that out. So what do we do? Here's what I wanted to land. What do we do when I feel a little bit more like Martha, and uh, I'm just consumed by all the activities and the busyness of this season? Well, let me take you to Switzerland, figuratively speaking. Joy and I were in Switzerland a couple of years ago. Went over there to Albania, and then we went over to see some missionaries in Germany. And then we took a little break and uh, went to the Alps. And here's us. You could barely see Joy's hand there for a moment, but it's off the screen. We're walking up the Alps. We're hiking in the Alps (laughs) for like 50 yards. (laughs) And I noticed this farmer there on the side of the mountain. And even in the Alps, weeds grow and they become a distraction. And I read something. It reminded me I read something uh, from... Gordon MacDonald, who was one of my professors when I was in school many years ago. And he tells this story where he and his wife, Gail, were walking in the Alps. And they saw a farmer like this man on the side of a mountain like this man with weeds all around. And what that farmer did is he took this blade, this tool, and he began with this arm this way and this way. And he began, no, it goes like this. Yeah, that's it. Does that look right? And it began to whack the weeds. And he and his wife, the farmer and his wife, were whacking the weeds for about 10 minutes. And Gordon noticed something that happened. After 10 minutes, they stopped. And they turned this upside down, pulled out of their pocket a flat stone, and began to sharpen the blade. And for five minutes, they sharpened the blade. And after five minutes, they put the stone back in, took the blade, and began to whack for another 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes, they stopped and took the stone out and began to sharpen the blade. And in Gordon's mind, he thought, well, what a waste. Every hour you're wasting like 20 minutes of good work that could be done when you're sharpening the blade. And then he understood what the farmer was doing. As the farmer would explain it, after 10 minutes of work, the blade begins to get dull. And so I need to keep sharpening the blade because when the blade gets dull, the work gets harder. And if I keep a sharp blade, the work stays easier. And so the five minutes of sharpening the blade makes it easier for the ten minutes of working the blade. And what Gordon discovered and what I was blessed with when I thought about that myself is that sometimes my heart becomes dull. My heart becomes dull. My soul becomes dull. And the work gets harder. And I feel fatigue. 
I feel emotionally run down. I feel drained. When the same work that I might have done a year ago becomes harder work to do it this year, then I know that my heart is dull and there's greater fatigue. And what God requires of us is to sharpen our soul. And how do you sharpen a soul? How do you stay at your best when the work is the easiest? One thing you do is you stop and you bring out the flat stone and you sharpen this blade. That's also what Mary discovered and why Martha was so irritated and tired and grumbling and blaming and shaming and accusing Jesus of not caring is because her heart had become dull and the work had become hard. And so we need to stop and we sharpen ourselves. We sharpen ourselves so we can actually do the work without growing tired at the same time. How does that happen? Here's the first thing that I noticed about Mary. You rest and you renew in the Word and the presence of the Lord. And she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to His Word. She's sharpening her soul so that she can be ready for that day when she'll watch her Savior die upon the cross. So she can be ready for anything that God would bring her way. We need to rest. I know this is not a newsflash, but this is sure what Jesus reminded us of, and that's why Luke recorded this account, that we rest and we renew. I've shared this little story. I want you to read it on the screen, though, this time. I read in the Springs in the Valley, a book that Letty Coleman wrote, missionary. This is what she wrote. In the deep jungles of Africa, a traveler was making a long trek. Coolies, these the tribal junglemen, as they would call them in those days, had been engaged from a tribe to carry the loads. The first day they marched rapidly and went far. The traveler had high hopes of a speedy journey because we need to get there and hurry. But the second morning, these jungle tribesmen refused to move for some reason. They just sat and rested. On inquiry as to the reason for the strange behavior, the traveler was informed that they had gone too fast the first day and they were now waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. And Letty Coleman then analyzes the situation with these words. This whirling, rushing life which so many of us live does not does for us what that first march did for those poor jungle tribesmen. The difference? They knew what they needed to restore life's balance. Too often, we do not. I was reading a little article that came out of Scientific American. Not a journal that I typically dip into because it was written by someone who teaches at MIT. And frankly, that's way above my IQ level. But Sherry Turkle did a study of technology and life in 2014. This is in the September of 2014. She said, I do some of my field work at stop signs, at checkout lines at supermarkets. I give people even a second and they're doing something with their phone. Every bit of research says people's capacity to be alone is disappearing. What can happen is that you lose that moment to have a daydream or to cast an eye inward. Instead, you look to the outside. Solitude is the precondition of having a conversation with yourself, and we're losing the capacity for solitude. 
She says, but now from the youngest age, even two or three or four-year-old children. We have some of those here. Even the youngest children are given technology that removes solitude by giving them something externally distracting. I sit behind an SUV with those TV screens that are blasting to the third seat in the back row of the SUV. I say critically, yeah, I'm being judgmental. Oh, there he goes again. Too much of Martha in me. I think, is that family losing a moment of conversation? I remember the joy of having my kids in the back seat and they had no video screen and I get to yell at them all the way down until we finally get there. You lose those good moments of life. Like the time we drove up the coast and they started throwing up in the back seat and I said, come on, this is disgusting. What's wrong with you? We need those moments. Anyways, where was I? Children are given technology that removes them, removes solitude by giving them something externally distracting that makes it harder, ironically, to form true relationships. She writes, I have so many examples of children who will be talking with their parents. Something will come up. And the parent will go online to search. And the kids will say, Daddy, stop Googling. I just want to talk to you. Well, that triggered a thought in my mind, something you've heard before. Daddy, I just want to talk to you. I love my parents. Well, let me just come down here. I need to grab something. Robin, do you mind if I just reach across you and I can try to bother you too much? Oh, there's no... Oh, there we go. Thank you. This card. Every time we talk about the card here at Calvary Church, you know, a lot of people, their eyes glaze over, right? <laughs> this card means something to me. I remember when I was about in fifth grade, my dad was pastor at Bethany Bible Church, and he had a growing church, a booming church, really. Phoenix was growing, the church was growing, busy as could be. There was like three people on staff, and they had to all juggle many, many balls in the air at the same time. And I wouldn't see my dad because he was either working in the daytime or he was out visiting somebody at night or is in some committee meeting at night. So he was gone day and night, and I really wasn't spending any time with my dad when I was about in fifth grade. And it became an irritant to me. And so one Sunday I was sitting in a church, and just like we do here, Benny Rhodes would ask, would you take out the registration card and let us know that you're here? And we have a number of boxes that you can check, just like we have here. And if there's anything we can help you with, we'd be glad to respond. So I, as a little fifth grader, finally listened once in church and uh, pulled out that little registration card and put my name and address on it. And there was a little box on there, and the little box says, Desire Pastoral Visit. <laughs> and so I checked that box. And I dropped it in the offering plate when the offering plate was passed. And so that was a test. Does anybody get these cards? You may ask, does anybody get these cards here? Well, we do. They did. That week, the pastor called me, my dad. He called me up. And it even makes me choke up just a little bit when I think about it right now. And he said, I understand you'd like to have a visit with the pastor. I said, yes, I would. It's been too long. Okay, this Saturday, we got a date. So that's Saturday, the next Saturday. He and I got our bicycles out, blew the dust off them, 
We rode our bicycles in Phoenix, Arizona, from Harmont Lane, where I typically would ride to go to grade school, Royal Palms Grade School on 19th Avenue. We rode down there, and then we rode down 19th Avenue. Rode all the way to Turf Paradise. It's a horse racing track. Best day of my life. My dad taught me how to turn a daily double into $100. It was just incredible. I use it all the time at Santa Anita now. It's been one of the great tips of my life. Just kidding. But we did. We went to the Turf Paradise racing track. We stood there at the track and watched the horses run the track, training them, getting them in shape. And my dad says, well, David, what do you want to talk about? I'm a fifth grader. I said, Dad, I don't, I don't have anything to say. I have nothing to talk about. Okay. And what I told him, I just wanted to spend time with you. I just wanted to be alone with you. I just wanted to know that you cared about me. And that's all it was. Time alone. I don't remember anything my dad preached. I don't remember what he said there, any kind of wisdom literature that he gave me that day. But I can remember the day that I filled out that card as distinctly as I stand here right now. I can remember the day that my dad called me on the phone and said, you want a pastoral visit? And I still remember vividly riding the bicycles down 19th Avenue in Phoenix, Arizona to Turf Paradise and watching the horses run. Why? Because I was spending time alone with a priority of my life as a fifth grader with my daddy. And it still impacts me to this day. If you had turned me down, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing today. It's meaningful. When you begin to slow down, you begin to rest, you begin to change your priorities, and you begin to do things differently, and you understand that we need to slow down and stop, rest, renew, and let our souls catch up with our bodies. That's what Jesus understood. That's what Mary understood. That's what Martha was learning. And a lot of us need to be learning that too. And the last thing is this. Then I need to reflect on what priorities from the Lord I should choose. Where do I go? Notice the way Jesus describes the situation with Mary. Mary never says a thing. Jesus intervenes. I love that. I don't need to defend, I don't need to defend myself when I'm doing God's will. I'll let Jesus speak before me. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's something I decide to do. I could decide to be busy like Martha and just become irritable and cranky and blaming and shaming and thinking God doesn't care. I can choose to live that way, or I can stop, I can rest, I can renew, and then I can reflect, and I can choose to do what is the good part. What is the good part which shall not be taken away from her? What is the good part? I'll put on the outside, on the, so on the back side of the outline, a little chart that I've used for many, many years. It's what I call the wheel of wisdom, which sounds better than it really is. But I wanted to draw your attention. So what should I reflect on? What should I choose from? When my dad called me that day, he made a choice. He chose me, and that was a decision that affected his schedule. It was reflective of his priorities, and these are the priorities. I have two questions at the top when you use this chart. What are your present needs in this chart? What are your prior neglects on this chart? 
So I put in the middle of it, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they need to be the centerpiece of my life. If I'm not connected to Jesus Christ, then I'm way out of balance. Jesus has to be number one. But then I need to think about my own health, my physical health, my emotional health, my will, my conscience, my mind. How am I impacting those areas in a positive way? What has been my present need? What has been my prior neglect? It may be that I'm sitting around stirring up my mind with great truth, but my body is wasting away because I haven't invested in it. could be that. And then finally, once I get those things in a proper balance, then I see the big wheel of discipleship, work, spouse, children, and there are scriptures there. And I begin to spend time thinking and reflecting, reflecting, what will I choose? What is the good part for me? Where do I need to hear the voice of the Lord? Let me close with this great story. I love this story. Marianne Bird has written an account called The Whisper Test. Some of you have heard this. It's so great. The Whisper Test. Marianne Bird was born with a cleft palate. So her lip, teeth, and her mouth were deformed. And she remembers when she was in second grade with this deformity and the kids would ask her, what happened to your mouth? And she used to tell them, I fell, I had an accident and I cut my lip. She said, I'd rather tell them that I had an accident rather than that I was born this way. And this deformity really skewed her view of herself and life. And then she says, I remember in second grade, Mrs. Leonard's class, She describes Mrs. Leonard as a short, round, happy woman. (laughs) It's crazy because I remember second grade and I had a short, round, happy woman as well. I don't know. It's weird. Maybe she was in my class. Anyways, there she was. And one of the things that they used to do, and I remember doing this myself, is they would have a hearing test. And I remember, you know, beep, beep. Remember that? You kind of like some of you are old enough like me. Well, one of the things that Mrs. Leonard would do is she would have them stand by the door and she would sit at her desk and she would whisper to them, close one ear, close the other ear, and she would whisper to them across the room to see if they could hear well enough on both ears. And she said often she would, you know, have one of the children stand there and close one ear and she said, what's the color of your shirt? Do you ride a bicycle? And she would just, these sort of innocuous, bland statements. And what changed Marianne Bird's life was when Mrs. Leonard had Marianne Bird stand at the door and Mrs. Leonard whispered to Marianne, I wish you were my little girl. She said, those seven words changed my life. I wish you were my little girl. She said, because I felt so unloved and unlovely that she would want me as her child. With my deformity, she loved me. When we whisper and when we hear the whispers of Jesus and Jesus comes to us in our deformity and our brokenness and He whispers in our ears, we listen to Him. As Mary listened to Jesus, as Martha prepared the meal, as Mary listened to Jesus, she would hear words like that that says, Mary, I'm glad you are my child. And when we listen to the voice of Jesus, 
when we hear from Him, when I sit and, and look at the Scriptures that are there and I listen to the voice of God, I begin to be fed in my soul. My, my soul is sharpened. And I begin to hear God say words that gives me strength and helps me for the walk that He calls me to walk. The whisper test from Jesus. I need to rest, renew, and then reflect, God. Where would you have me choose to go with you? You are my priority, Jesus Christ. Let's pray that He remains that priority as we continue into the holiday. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank You that You have given to us this beautiful little story of a couple of women and Jesus. Lord, they're just like us, these women. I know I can relate to Martha sometimes better than I do Mary because it's all about what I do and what I perform and how I please you and others as opposed to how I stop and be with Jesus. Help me to get it in balance. Help me to get it right. The Good Samaritan, those are good things, but don't let me and us get carried away where we lose the beauty of resting with Jesus and listening to His whisper into our ears that we reclaim our souls, we sharpen our hearts, and we walk fresh with new energy and new excitement for who You are and what You want from us. Refresh us as we choose the good part with Mary to be with You these days. Thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.